Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 79, with proud Bundjalung woman, Mindy Woods. I'd like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land which we are meeting on, and pay respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Today's podcast is one of my favourite ever, and that's a pretty big statement. I feel like I connected so much with the world and what we've done and where we're going, and it's truly inspirational. So sit back and relax. But first, I will always tell you about Chef Notepad because it's a wonderful thing that calculates your food costs and manages your recipe. And when I say thing, I mean absolute fantastic tool to help you in your restaurants. Please do that. Check it out, Chef Notepad. Also brought to you by Green Endeavour. Who's Green Endeavour? That's the company that owns Suncoast Fresh and Fruitling. We don't just deliver high-quality fruit and vegetables and mouth-watering gourmet goods. We're here to create sustainable communities where all people are educated, empowered, and inspired by the joy of real food. Mindy Woods, let's get into this. Fantastic. Time to rock and roll. We're on. Mindy Woods, proud Bundjalung woman. Is that it? That's it. Woohoo! How do you introduce yourself when you meet new people? So, yeah, I... Culturally, we always introduce ourselves from a cultural point of view. So I'm a proud Bunjalung woman from the Widjibul Waibul clan. And yeah, Jingiwala, which means welcome. Well, thank you for having us here at your beautiful restaurant, uh, Kakala. We're about 100 metres away from the ocean. The sun is shining, a few people walking past. And um, we've driven down today to hang out and have a chat with you and, and learn a bit more about your story and your people and your vibe and, and your stories. Yeah, way. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. You've been saying deadly lots because we've been chatting for a little while prior. What does deadly exactly mean? Does that mean the epitome of good or what does deadly mean? Oh, deadly is about good vibes, you know what yeah. I mean? It's <laughs> like, it's it's one of those words that kind of describes so many different things. It's like the feel-good word, it's excitement, it's like it's like high-fiving, it's it's all that all that good stuff. Tell me about your beautiful childhood. Everyone knows about your awesome Kakala restaurant. Maybe they don't. Let's tell them about where we are right now. What you do here, what's what's amazing about Kakala and why is it called Kakala? Oh God, I mean, look around us. It's a it's a tiny little humble space. It's definitely not flash, you know. It's a little space that we run really on an oily rag. I had my whole family in here painting walls and scrubbing things down when we first opened up in the middle of COVID. But Kakala is a beautiful First Nations restaurant. We use local, seasonal and native indigenous ingredients. And Kakala is all about connecting our community to First Nations culture through food. I would say it's deadly. <laughs> <laughs> you speak about your family quite passionately and let's go back and talk about, you were talking about earlier this morning, the pippies on the beach, there's heaps at the moment you're saying. Uh, you also did that as a child, I think it was Patches Beach. Tell me a little bit about how that influences your experiences with pippies today at the beach. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? One of my fondest memories has always been when we were little kids down on the beach with my nan, Margie Felton. She was a beautiful woman. And we didn't realise at the time when she was taking us down to the beach because we just, you know, you got a big mob of kids. My mum comes from a family of 11. Then Nan raised nieces and nephews too. So they had 17 kids in a three-bedroom home in North Lismore. Big mob. Big mob. And to feed a family, Nan used to have to go out on country, right? And then when you've got your grandkids on top of that, you can imagine, how do you keep this family fed? How do you keep them occupied? So in school holidays, Nan would take us down to the beautiful beaches along Bunjalung country. Patches Beach where no one else was there. It would just be us, our mob, right? And we'd be all down there and we'd be doing the pippy shuffle, getting yugari, which is yeah. what we call it in lingo, pulling up the pippies, going and picking pig face with Kakala from the, the shoreline up on those dunes. And we'd sit down as a family and we'd eat 
And we would spend all day down there. We'd so be, you had a lot of fire. Yeah, a lot of fire. How would you cook that? What was the actual yeah, dish? Just, yeah, we were just Oil cooking. Them? No, 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 just straight Eat on them? fire. Straight on the oh, fire. We used to fire. love them like that because they get all crispy. They pop open. They almost steam themselves open. Right. This beautiful, smoky, ashy smell, and they pop open. Little burnt bits on the end, which my sister and I used to absolutely love. And you know that little adductor muscle on the yeah. inside? We would be chewing that off because yeah. it was yeah. yummy and it's sweet and delicious. It almost tastes like a scallop, you know, that part. So we would be down on the beach and Nan would be fishing and she'd be sending us around with a milk, like a little glass bottle and be chipping oysters off the rocks. And Nan would be saying, oh, don't eat those. They're no good. They're no good. Don't eat those. And we'd be like, hang on a minute. Nan's sitting up on the beach, necking the Necking the oysters. <laughs> Until we figured out that they were really bloody good, you know. But oh, is that classic? Yeah. Is that classic? Hey, you kids, stay away from I that. I know. It's no good. No That's good. You won't no like good. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. but. Mum reminded me recently we'd take down Nan because Nan, I mean, we had no money, you know. So Nan would take down a couple of boxes of lemons, maybe oranges and apples, but the lemons we used to eat just straight and with salt on the lemon, you know, and then it was seawater, pippies, and, and lemons. But we used to eat the lemons whole, you know, and just that whole thing and that that memory of the saltiness and, and the seafood and the beach succulents and all of us being together. I didn't realise at the time that that would actually start to steer my direction in life. What now I call is my purpose, you know, I get to attach my passion with my purpose of connecting the Australian audience and the wider audience to our culture through our food. It must feel like a big responsibility because some people didn't have that same food experience as a young person, you know, it might have been the complete opposite, it might be Coca-Cola and mm. sausage rolls and rah rah, so I must, um, now, it, now, now you're celebrities that you've got mm. from MasterChef and stuff must feel like uh, a privilege, but also I'm sure you have, I know you have, a sense of responsibility uh, now. How do you deal with that? It is number one, an incredible privilege. And you know, I've been given, you know, permission to do this from my elders. I couldn't open Kakala without permission from my elders and from our mob and our community because this food's really sacred to us. You know, food wasn't just something we, we took from country to eat. It was a way that we formed a relationship with country, you know, and that's something that I really want to communicate to the greater audience. We've got to start to respect our food so we can respect country. You know, they were cultural tools, it was medicine, it was a way that we, it was a preventative, you know, so, you know, things like the, the beautiful coastal hibiscus, it grows all down the coastline, the east coast of Australia, to eat the flowers, but the bark was used for as an antiseptic, the sap from the bark, and then because it's really stringy, it used to be made for fishing nets. We used to make out about 100 metres long of these fishing nets. Mm. So everything had a place and a purpose and we really needed to look after that for future generations. That is still so relevant for today. More so. I, I would suggest that what I, what I love about the, um, the, the, the culture is that it is exactly the most working with the environment, which every business has all got pressure on to do for the right reasons, because we've messed stuff up by doing things wrong. But the the indigenous culture is the best in the world at not wrecking the world and working with it. So everything we're doing now from a from an ice bath that used to be a swim in the ocean, from you know from grounding yourself, just not wearing shoes. You know, from taking from the land but not too much and moving around it so it's got an opportunity mm -hmm. to the burn backs, to all the things. Yeah. I mean, really, it's actually the only way. We can probably save the whole planet in my... Yeah, my no, Just thought right. off the top of my head. I mean, yeah, I've always right. thought that it's such a beautiful thing because, you know, it's not 
showy. It's not, you know, it's it's um, it's amazing. But it's completely connected, isn't yeah. it? And when you are connected to country and you really appreciate it, like we say, the country is our mother. We're here to take care of our mother. You know, we don't. We're not owners. You know, that whole Western notion of ownership doesn't exist in First Nations culture. We're custodians, we're here to take care of our land for a future generation so we can hand her on, hopefully in a better state than what we found it. You know, and that's definitely something we can all learn from. I, 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 can, I personally really relate to that and mm. I, I honestly feel, you know, you can go through life, you know, taking things and having things, but you know, that the, the looking to the stars at night and feeling the movement of the ocean and the, and the land, this connection with it and knowing that you will just be a part of it and when you walk through it that your ancestors are a part that the dirt that the trees that the this that that um that is actually what i do believe and probably a lot of people who are listening might not know that about me but it really is a, a connection with earth that is it's an incredible such thing a i mean thing. you're in the right business to be doing that because i feel like food is the ultimate connector you know it's a really wonderful way for us to form a relationship with country with with, with nature and it's also the way that we connect as humans, you know, food for me is an equaliser. When we sit down and we break bread, break damper, I always say we break damper together, we're equal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there is, there's no one that's better or worse. We all need food. But to connect with it and to experience food through a culture, you need to experience food to experience a culture. Let's talk about that a little bit more in depth and tell me a couple of examples of that. Like, um, if you haven't checked out your Instagram, um, you know, please do. What is it? Just so everyone's clear on that. Yeah, Native Food Queen. Native Food Queen. Woods, yeah. Make sure you check that out um, because the stories on there um, are pretty amazing. But tell me just a couple of the restaurant experiences. Uh, I know you're always packed out and booked and all the rest. But um, yeah, tell me a couple of those experiences. So, uh, the one that hits me for sure is the bunion art, which is absolutely the largest bunion art in the world. Grows on top of the big bunion nut trees. Don't camp under a bunion nut tree. <laughs> is a t-shirt that should be made, uh, particularly in January. Or a which bumper is a sticker because you do not park your car under <laughs> yeah, a yeah, bunion yeah. Literally, uh, Adam from work, he parked uh, under one recently and woke up with one right next to his car literally two weeks ago. Uh, and it was one of the biggest ones I've ever seen. So, yeah, don't do that. But, yeah, talk us through how, how that you know, connection and, and how you've twisted that recipe with the miso and stuff. Um, you know, I mean, our food, you know, I always say our, our sacred natives because for me they are, they're not just the food, they're something we've, you know, the way that we form a relationship with country. So bunion nuts, I mean, they're an amazing prehistoric food. They've been here since the time of the dinosaurs. Dinosaur food, I always tell people that. It's amazing to think that they still exist to this very day. They're around us, they grow here, they belong here, they're endemic to this region. They grow here for a reason, right? For culturally, they were significant food for our people. Every three to four years when the big bunya harvest would happen, mob would come from all along the east coast of Australia to congregate in the bunya mountains to hold ceremony. And it was surrounded by these bunya nuts. So they would have marriages, they would sort out disputes between mobs, big ceremonies, you know, in that time. So dance and song and sharing those stories along that beautiful song line. They would trade bunion nuts and they would take them away. So it's a really important food source, cultural food for our people, and also a way that our mobs across the different lands would connect together. So now, you know, as a modern First Nations woman, I think we really need to celebrate these foods when we get them, because, you know, the big harvest happened last year. I ended up with about two tonne on my doorstep at home because people don't know what to do with this stuff. Mm. And I said, bring them, drop, drop them off. I didn't expect to get two ton dropped off. <laughs> and they're quite a feat to actually pull apart. But sure enough, we pulled all the beautiful pine kernels out of them. And you get, you know, between like 70 to, you know, 90, you know. Yeah. Some of them are 10 to 
12 kilos, some of these bunion arts. And I wanted to interpret it in a way that was approachable to people. So fermenting them, it's a way of preservation that old people did preserve food. You know, you know, it's not really known. You know, people just thought mob walked around country, took what they needed at the time, but our people did preserve food. They would preserve it. So a modern preservation technique or an ancient one from a Japanese point of view, but one that we've embraced in Australia is miso. So we've made an incredible bunion up miso. We serve that up with a bunion up miso. We mix it with a beautiful butter on our beautiful Tasmanian scallops. And then we shave a bit of bataga and bunion up on top. Absolutely incredible. Stop. And what a beautiful way to celebrate an ancient food. Mm. So I always say ancient food and modern flavours at Kakala because I want people to be able to connect with it in a way that's really approachable and something that they understand as well. In the background there, a little bar and community all heading to the beach. Um, don't let that distract us. <laughs> um, yeah, tell me another story about a couple of ingredients. I just want to touch on some of your favourite ingredients that you either used or you have used in the past or one that um, you know, connects. I mean, they all Oh, there's so them. many, you know, and like Look. I say to people, we take out, at Kakala, we want to create a real experience for people. You know, it's a place where you come to have a food experience but also a cultural experience. So at the start of the night, we catch up as a team and we think about what's seasonal at the moment. People don't often realise either that culturally we have six seasons. So we don't just have four seasons that's dictated to by a calendar date. When you think of it, it doesn't really make sense because nature doesn't work to a calendar day like we've created. We work as according to what nature's telling us at the time, and that changes every year. What are the six seasons? Tell oh, me that. Oh, brother, there is there's, Come on. A, there's a lot of them. There's six, you know, and, you know, every season is dictated, to, like I said, by what's happening in nature, yeah. which is really beautiful. So at the moment we're going into, well, I guess it's our form of autumn, but what happens in that time is that what we'll find is the rainforest pigeon coming down from the forest down to the coastline. And what I've noticed is that's happened a little bit earlier this year. So what we get is we're getting kind of, you know, macadamias, we're getting finger lines, which you know that kind of works. That's when we get our harvest. Traditionally, that was part of our traditional culture as well. Finger lime to gulalong in our language. Isn't that beautiful? That's yeah. a traditional name for finger lime to gulalong. And I often say to people and I often ask that question, why are we not using those traditional names? Because it's endemic to Bundjalung country. You know, we can call it Bundjalung caviar or finger lime caviar, what do you want? The traditional name in our lingo is gulalong. One of our my favorites is Kakala. I've named my restaurant after it. Kakala is also pig face. Yeah. Yuli in our lingo as well. Beautiful name, traditional name. But Yuli was the first plant that I picked with my nan when I was a little girl down on those beach lines on those dunes. We used to go up on the beach and I was the fairest of them all, little red-haired freckly face down there running around getting sunburned where all my cousins had this beautiful tan golden skin and so did my brother and sister. I just ended up the palace version out of everyone but <laughs> I got sunburnt, right? So Nan would take us up, rub the, rub the kakala on me, we'd go hunting down there for the for the pig face, that beautiful sea freak under the, under the flower is the fruit. And it tastes like salty strawberries and it tastes like, you know, I mean, some people say beach figs as well, you know, it gets called. But that was the first plant I, I picked with my nan. Mm. But it was medicine because it used for stings and bites and sunburns and burns. But it was also something that was used as a tonic for soothing an upset stomach. Crush it down in a little bit of, you know, ocean water or clean river water and drink it to soothe your stomach. So these things have so much more significant than just being something that you throw in a salad, something that you throw in a meal. They're actually got a huge cultural significance for us and that's what we want to attach people to. We want to show that First Nations culture has an incredibly rich food culture. And my culture around food in Bundjalung country 
is so different and unique compared to what happens in central desert country, what happens down south, and what happens up north. Because within those 500 tribes that make up Australia, we all have our own food identity, our own food culture, as well as our own spiritual culture and connection to country. And that's something really important. You know, people often think, oh, why aren't you cooking witchetty grubs? And why aren't you cooking kangaroo? I cook kangaroo, absolutely. It's the only meat that I have on my menu because it's super good for us. It's super lean meat. It's really good for the environment. And it's really bloody delicious, most importantly, right? I, oh, you said good for, yeah. It's yeah. Super it's super yeah. Good. Australians should be eating more kangaroo. Mm. We definitely should be. And when we show people how good it can be when it's cooked well, I encourage all Australians to eat it. But they're so cute. Yeah, I know. They're bloody cute, but they taste good too. You know what I mean? <laughs> so is lamb. So but all, yeah, exactly. They're all a little mm. cute in their own ways. But the environmental impact of kangaroos yeah. is far less than taking, you know, when you talk of cattle and, and sheep and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But you took of old, like, saltbush, right? Saltbush is one of those oh, things that really people love. Saltbush, right? We've got different types of saltbush. And people think, right, we've got old man saltbush, which is incredible. Big, frap, fat, broad, silver, glistening leaf. And it's incredible. It's grown, especially down in those kind of really arid regions, down through kind of South Australia, Victoria, even along those coastlines sometimes, right up through those kind of really dry, arid regions where a lot of cattle farmers are. Cattle farmers love it because the cattle love to eat it and it's really good for them. But as a cultural tool, it was really important for our mob, our people. I mean, I just go back to this time and time again, saltbush was used as a fire break. So our mob knew when those big fires were coming through, how do we manage our land? Yeah, we do cultural burning, but when those big fires took control, planting saltbush around actually acted as a fire break. It would stop the flow of fire. And I mean, isn't that something that we could all learn something from? There's Those terrible kids. fires that we had down in Victoria a couple of years ago that wiped out farms, families, took lives and properties. We would have gone back to those old ways, that old knowledge and really embrace that. Is it is it is only coastal bar? No, no, no. Like no, no, no. Yeah, oh, absolutely it does. Like yeah, Blue yeah, Mountains yeah. sort of? No, 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 like really dirt, red dirt, dry yeah, right. country. Okay, yeah. I, I, yeah. Out on okay. those cattle stations. I, 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 the reason, as soon as you say that, my family have a farm down in the Blue Mountains. I'm like, wait, are we going to do a thing around the outside of the farm with saltbush? But, but it will still grow there too. Still, yeah, okay. It will still grow there too, but traditionally that's where it was found. It's yeah. endemic to those areas. But you've got old man saltbush, you've got mass saltbush, you've got gorilla, these, and the tasting profiles of these, right? The ashes were used as a rising agent in breads. First Nations Australians are the oldest bakers in the world. We've got ovens that, and, and bread making that predates the Egyptians. So we the flour was that. the grass, wasn't it? That, that, yeah, all, all types of things. So bunion nut flour. We make yeah. Johnny Cakes at Kakala, but they made flour, uh, bread out of uh, the bunion nut flour. Yeah, okay. You know, and you've got your yeah, emu grass and your wallaby grasses and all those kind of beautiful grains that We've we're starting got to. got some in our garden uh, up there that I'm going to take it to. Incredible stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we're realising now that stuff's really important, not only for the animals that grow in the area, it's important environmentally, but for our future food security in Australia, those grains are going to be really important too. I'm glad they said that because I did plant some in the garden and people are going, <laughs> what is that weed over there, Graham? And I'm going, that's a very important Kangaroo grass. It's going to be important in the future, yeah, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, You're not going to go hungry. You'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. Go to Kakala and Byron to tell you all about it. Mm. Yeah, right. Okay. It's exciting stuff. But really important way to connect with our environment, you know, and people often say to me, how do I do better? How do I connect with my community, my First Nations community? And I always say to them, 
figure out what traditional country you're on. You know, we're on Panjalan country here, beautiful Panjalan country, and we respect the ancestors and the elders and the future elders here today of the Arakbul people that, you know, on lands that we are on. But know what country you're on, know what language they spoke and probably speak to this same day. Know some of the native foods endemic to your area and start growing them at home. Can we touch on some of the language? Can you give us mm. a, okay, let's yeah. do hello. Yep, Jingela. Um, goodbye. Juwenbu. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's um, lots. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's funny because when you, when you describe First Nations language, it's completely different, like most language, completely different to English. Yeah. It's very descriptive. So Mogandar, good morning, means the sun is rising. Right. It's beautiful. You know what I mean? It's very, very descriptive. Isn't so, that much better than... Mogandar, I like that. Mogandar, like yeah, and it's gentle and softly spoken, yeah. you know what I mean? Until we all get to be a mob and we're getting excited about things and we're having ceremony, our elders spoke softly and the intent was with soft speaking was that you listened. You know, we, we talk about this thing of deep listening as a First Nations culture and it was paying attention, taking your time to think about what was being said and then responding when the time was right. You know, I guess, as, you know, I come from Western culture too. I'm, I'm mixed heritage, but we jump in, we've got an opinion, we get excited about things, but the idea of pausing and listening and taking your time to think about what was said, I think is something really important. It's almost like that meditation. It's men it's like a mental health treatment, isn't yeah, it? You know, like it really we're all is. in this, this thing, well, not mm. everyone, but you know, is in this horrible space almost with technology and whatever it might be, we, we want to blame it on. But, you know, connecting with the, the back to basics of the earth and and food and slowing it down like you're saying and speaking gentle and listening. Um, it's actually, the cure is right in front of us. And um, sometimes we try so hard to, to well, we think we're trying to have it, we're just actually working against it almost. Um, it just seems so um, natural. I don't know if it's because we're sitting in Kakala or, mm. uh, or what, but um, I'm really picking up on. Well, let me tell you about Kakala where we are. So we're, um Bunjalung country, we're in Byron Bay. Byron Bay's traditional name is Cavanba. Cavanba. Cavanba, which means meeting place. So this was a native food bowl. I feel really lucky to be a beautiful Bunjalung woman because I get to be in a native food bowl that's been here for our ancestors for thousands of years. Cavanba was a meeting place for our mob. So all different Bunjalung clans would come here to fish, to harvest. Mullet season's coming up, that's part of our cultural calendar. Mob would come all around to the big mullets, you know, it's hunt, you know, and they would get all the mullets as they're flowing out of the rivers. I'd be down here. We've got middens down here at the pass that have been there for over 20,000 years, and middens a bush kitchen. So we've got, you know, we've got pippy shells down there, oyster shells that we know that predate back to 20,000 years. Our mob's been here. And those tools for our middens, our bush kitchens, were left there. So when the next mob came through, they always had their tools, their grinding stones, their spears, their hunting things. Next mob, they would come and they had the tools they needed for this area to hunt, to fish and to gather. It's pretty incredible. And the disappointing part is now we've got a big, dirty, bloody car park going through it. Yeah. But that remnants of that midden are still here to that day. People love to come to Byron Bay to have a holiday, to feel connected. It's a health and well-being kind of place to come. But it's been that for thousands of years for our mob. And it's still... Those traditions carry on today. But I think if people come here and they start to connect with a little bit of that rich, ancient culture of Byron Bay, they'll appreciate it in a much different way. 
I love that. I, I, I used to live. I used to live at What It Goes, in fact. I rented there. I don't think I had a house at What It Goes. I was going to um, say, $80 a week. Don't worry about me. <laughs> That's a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was actually it was about 25 years ago. Um, yeah, a good mate of mine, Craig Page. Um, no. Huh? No, not 25. I'm 27. I would have been. Scarlett, we're doing a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was. Okay, probably 20 years ago. No, but I was been. told. Or someone told me, I'm not sure who it was, but I've, it was called The Healing Place. And you should come to Byron as a as an um, mm. elder or whatever, and you'd heal it. But you were, the, the tradition was that you wouldn't stay here too long. And that sort of correlates with what you just said, like leave the tools, hunting, rah, rah. Maybe you come here and it was some sort of healing place. That's what I was told. Yeah. And it actually suited me because I come here in a, in a, let's say, not a good state. And stayed here for, I lived here for maybe three or four years and then I moved on. But I, but I feel like every time I come back here, like I have to take my shoes off, get on the beach, connect again. Yeah, drawn here, brother. And leave. Yeah. And, and Scarlett is too, because she grew up on what he goes, because I used to have the old combi down there making juices and smoothies on the beach. And she grew up running around on the beach and her fondest memories are the sandcastle where you, you drop the sand and Yeah, that's and it, brother. I know, ones, but, but yeah. we are, we're drawn here, you know, yeah. and we've got a connection here. And that's not just the First Nations community, that's every visitor that comes to this place. Mm. And I truly believe that, you know, there's a reason that people are drawn here. It is a place where we can reflect, we can have connection with country, where a lot of the places in the big cities with the big bright lights, you can't get that connection. You look out here and you see those beautiful stars, you hear that ocean breeze, you put your feet on the sand and you feel connected to country, you know, and she's the one that we're here to take care of. And I think for me, food is going to be a really important part for Australia, a really important part of our reconciliation as a nation. So we can join together and move forward together without the shame of the past, you know, we've, a nation, we're a young nation in a modern sense, but we're the oldest surviving civilization on earth. That is something that we need to celebrate. And that's something that we all need to understand at great depths more. It's something we all need to connect to, whether you're indigenous or non-indigenous, because it is part, the past is part of our future and it's part of that future solution. And to be honest, I want every Australian to feel proud to be Australian. And I know we've had a really troublesome, dark 250 years, and that can't be ignored. We need to acknowledge it. We need to right the wrongs of the past, but we also need to find a way of moving forward together. Joining hands as mob, walking forward together. And I really believe that native food can be a catalyst for that change. I love that. Mm. I really do. And I think mm. that's the answer. I was about to ask you, you know, I'm not even looking at my actual notes, but... Um, Just having a yarn, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, uh, so how are we going to do that? How, how, I mean, you're doing it through the restaurant. How can, how can I help? How can we help? Well, let's get this native food out there, hey? Like, you know, you think of Australia's food culture and what do you instantly think? If people say, what's Australian food? When you go overseas, you, you know, you're heading over to Japan soon. Yes. What are you going to tell people when you get over there? What is Australia's food? What, typically, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I'm not going to say meat yeah. pie. I'm not. I know, you are, I know you want me to say that, but I'm not going to say that. Okay? It is crazy, isn't it? Meat pie. You know, and that's got part of our, our history and it's got part of who we are as Aussies. I mean, who doesn't love a good meat pie, right? But we are. I'm talking damper and kangaroo yeah, chai. I'm loving it. I'm loving that. Yeah. I'm loving that. We've got six and a half thousand ingredients that are unique to Australia. They're the ones that have been kind of 
I guess identified and they're the ones that we know about. I know that there's more than that, 100% there's more than that. Only 12 of those, I think maybe it's increased recently, only 12 of those have been approved for commercial growth and, and sale. How mad is that? Ridiculous. How crazy is that? So how about we start to embrace some of these native foods? How about we start to use them in our everyday cooking? Let's get them out of these restaurants and get them into our home cooking. Right. So you're going to come up and do a demo for me? That we 100% can brother. And you won't keep me away. Okay. I mean, people get really scared about native food. They don't know how to use it. But they're so versatile and they can be substituted in so many different beautiful ways. You look at lemon myrtle. People think lemon myrtle smells pretty. You know, we can put it in our skincare products or we can use it to kill bacteria. That's so 1980s. Come oh, on. isn't it though? You know? <laughs> Highest citrol rate of any plant in the world. And unfortunately, most of it now comes from China. We need to protect these. We need to own them. We need to celebrate them. All Australians need to do that. So if Aussies start to use this stuff in their home kitchens, use it instead of a bay leaf, use it instead of lemongrass, use it instead of your lemon zest. It's all those lemony flavors. We use have two trees at the new shed. Two lemon Get myrtle. into it. It's good stuff. We make a beautiful lemon myrtle oil here. I use it in situ of lemongrass instead of kaffir lime leaf in my curry paste. It's beautiful, it's aromatic, and it's super good for you. So let's get it into those home kitchens. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah, way. What else have you been doing? Doing pop-ups down at the Australian Open. You I'm just do that just woman. so you can go to the tennis or what? Busy Dubai. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I wish I saw some huh? of the tennis. I didn't expect yeah. it to do me um, oh, such bloody hard work, to be honest. Don't you hate that? I got down there, I thought I was just going to be rubbing my hands together and, you know, sitting pretty watching, you know, you know, the tennis being played, but um, I was working my butt off. I did a pop-up restaurant down there, so two weeks of Kakala down at the Australian uh, Open. And then I got to cook some pretty flash dinners down there, you know, seven course high-end dinners for people like Yvonne Goolagong and Billie Jean King and all wow. the incredible women that are part of, you know, the fabric of Australian tennis. I got to cook them a big flash dinner down there and God, I was proud as punch. We took all local food down. So all my supplies for, you know, from my Davidson plums, my finger limes, all of that. I said, if we're going to take it, we're going to take Bundjalung food down. And sure enough, that's what was served at the Australian Open. So pretty deadly. Love it. Who else is doing some great things with the native foods? Is there a chocolate? Is there, I mean, there are, I know there's heaps of Yeah, there's plenty you know of stuff. Any? And I wish and, and more I, I, people would do it. Like yeah, there's yeah. lots of brands working with natives. What I would caution people around and what I would really encourage any brand or business to do is when you start using them, don't just use them thinking them they're another ingredient that you're throwing in the mix. Use them with intention and purpose because these are, these are connected to mob and country. And, the, and they're connected to culture and they're inseparable for that for, from us. So when you're using them, get out and connect with the mob and say, I would really like to use these products in this. What do you think about it? How can I work with you to mm. get the best out of this product and understand the cultural significance of these products that I'm, I want to use? And how can I give back to mob when I do use them and these products are a success? Because at the moment, the native food industry is an $80 million industry and less than 2% of that is represented by mob. That breaks my heart. Mm. This industry is based on the ancient knowledge of our ancestors and of the care that those ancient, those ancestors and those elders and how they took care of those ingredients and their knowledge behind it. Okay. So what we need to do as a society, as a modern society, is to make sure that we're acknowledging that, we're involving First Nations community and we're finding ways to give back. And is there a real obvious way to, ca to connect with yeah, look, the easiest way is to reach out to your local Indigenous Land Council, your LAUC, they call them, yep. reach out to them. 
There's you plenty go. around. Reach out to your like, reach out to your council, find out who that representative within that community is. God, we love to be invited to the table. Mob love to talk, but what we're looking for is an invitation to be included. Yeah. You know, and that's the easiest thing. Include that local mob. Invite them in for a cup of tea. Can I come around for a cuppa? You get an old auntie around a cuppa and you would be amazed about the stories that you will walk away with. Mob want to share. They've got a huge sense of generosity. And considering what they've been through in the last 200 years, that sense of generosity is still there. It is. So let's not overlook it. My brother lives four hours west of Ayers Rock and he works with uh, communities out there. He Arante country. Uh, he's Warakuna, Warburton, mm. Wannan. Um, yeah, he loves it out Pretty there. Pretty deadly. Well, I've, my one of my apprentices is from Arante country. Right. Got Benny in here. He's down from Wada, a really remote community up that way in the Northern Territory. And we got him down here on the pans and we put him into his apprenticeship. An incredible way for our mob to feel proud of their culture and to showcase it is through our food. And we need more mob in hospitality too. Come on, mob, get down here. Yeah. Uh, but he would have called it a cup of tea. Cup of tea would be one word, a cup of tea. Instead mm, of, you know, cup of tea. It was yeah. cup, of, cup of tea. <laughs> and, uh, that's a, so, uh, yeah. yeah, I find him speaking. That, what do they call him? Uh, Kumara, which I think means boss man or something rather. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, we're going to have to connect with more and more people. And um, get. Oh, that's a podcast coming up, Scarlett, if we can find the local person. Yeah, that'd be um, great, actually. So, I mean... So it's a question I normally ask, but I think it's actually quite natural for you because I spoke to you earlier you know, about the environment stuff. Any little practices where we're getting away from some of the things that are snuck into traditional things like glad wrap and these horrible things? Uh, any of these things that are just not coming through the door here? And I mean, I know I know yeah. it's for sure, but I, I just want to say how can some of the practices that you might be doing here that other places can learn from so we can all do slightly better you know like we're all trying to minimize plastic do this and do that brother is- i mean you know the number one answer to this and it doesn't just apply to business it applies to every single australian out there that's living here eat local yeah eat local if you the biggest impact single impact that you can make as as a human on your environment is the way that you eat and we all know that eat local eat seasonal Support your local farmers, reduce those those miles where, where food travels and eat in season. No, not only is it going to be better for you, because country gives you, country looks after you. Country is going to give you what you need at a certain time. Country is going to be able to provide the amount that you need at that time and there's going to be no waste in it. And that is the single biggest way that we can support our environment and sustainability is how we eat as consumers. Love it. What's coming up for you? What's what's next on the agenda? Oh, brother, I'm a busy woman. Like I, I said to you before, you if I've got five out. minutes up my sleeve, I find a way of filling it up. But that's, that's why it, I, it, yeah, yeah that's why I was never going to change our date. I thought I'd lock this woman in, <laughs> lock her in. Well, really excitingly, last week I got accepted into um, Indigenous Entrepreneurship Program through. Future Foods and Charles Sturt University. Stop it. And I'm going to start on that four-month program with that deadly mob there, and I'm going to hopefully get a native food line out into the space. So Woo-hoo! I'm going to try and get more mob growing our food locally, and I'm going to try and get a native food line into the space because I really want native food into everybody's home. And if I can come up with a couple of products that are really approachable for people, people can start cooking some of my native curry at home. They can use some of my beautiful wattle seed caramel on their desserts. They can start to use, you know, these beautiful sea succulents in their salads, in their stir fries, in their steamed dishes. 
that is my big goal. You know, I want everyone to connect with these beautiful foods and connect with country and culture around them as well. Love it, and I'd love to help with that. Beauty. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I could definitely talk to you for hours. We could do this and online think, next I time over a cup of tea or, a, a cup you know. Of tea, <laughs> cup of tea. Um, um, yeah, I'd like to thank Josh for joining us late. I'd like you to be late for a meeting, mate. No. Yeah, these uh, restaurants are not. Dingila, <laughs> brother. He's, He's on time on when it counts. He's on time when it counts. That's yeah, for sure. Get the food here on the side. You gotta find the kakala. He's putting out fires. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we as a, as a business, we we thank you, and we're so proud to be associated with you. Uh, Sam, it's the second you got here, Sam said to me, "You got to do a podcast. Got to do a podcast. But you got to do a podcast with you." And um, we've got there, and we're here now. And I I, I know we're going to do more stuff together. And I'm totally aligned with your cause and if there's any way that we can help in the future we'd happily be part Yahweh, of it Yahweh and which means thank you with gratitude you know Yahweh for us is like yes and I'm going to hold you to that mate so Done. look out but um, Yahweh Bugaba thank you for, for the opportunity to talk you know like I said our mob are great storytellers food is about storytelling food is about connection so let's connect and let's change this world hey Yahweh deadly alright deadly <laughs> 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 wrap her up, Scotty Bear. You actually want me to wrap it up. <laughs> he, he says wrap it up and then I'll stop it and then you guys will stop it. I'm like, you should have kept it on. <laughs> pretend you wrap it up. Are you talk about this? The drop gets all relaxed. It might be that, need that cup of tea. Yeah, have you yeah. heard of, um, I use a lot of Rugenics. Have you had those guys? Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yep, yeah, good stuff. This yeah. stuff's good. I've, got, I've been using this up at home for ages. Yeah, I'll be bringing Over out a teas. native tea line in the next little while. Tea, tea's a, a very important cultural thing for First Nations, but also modern Australians, right? So yeah. tea is a beautiful way for us it's all a to connect. Good bridge. Good bridge and yeah. lots of storytelling over yeah. cups of tea. So definitely. Yeah, I drink a lot of tea. That stuff's like next level. Yeah. Really good stuff. That's pretty cool. I think that's a crazy thing when people think they go to a lot of these teas that they really love, you know, like green teas and you love your, you know, you know, your lemongrass, your ginger tea. People don't realise we've got our own native ginger. Yeah. People don't realise we've got our own native lemongrass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Put our native lemongrass with that native um, ginger and you've got absolute magic. Yeah. Not only in terms of a flavour profile, but in terms of its health benefits, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and medicinal benefits. So yeah. they're the well, type like of things we need to get out there. I like to think as well. And yeah. Everything goes back to them. Which yeah. Really well, you know, I think it's pretty tricky to get 100% mob-owned stuff. Well, yeah. Because they, we're they very small that, in the population of Australia. We're about 3% of the population, if that. Yeah. It's a very small amount of, yeah. of mob in this country now, right? So what we've got to do is actually we've got to align mob with allies. And the most powerful force that's going to be is us aligning mob and non-mob so we can move forward together. That's going to give us the biggest opportunity in this space. Yeah. And it's the only way that we can reconcile together. It's by working together. So that's what needs to happen. Love it. I'm really excited for you to come I, I really imagine you'd like teaching a lot of people at Suncoast and like all these things because I think it's so important. I think it adds to everything you're saying is so aligned with kind of what we're trying to do. And when well, I, we spoke like, about it, brother, education is such a big piece, right? And what you guys do really well as a business is educate. People are detached from their food. They're attached from their food, they're detached from country. If we can bridge the gap between food and country and bring people into that, and educate them, that's empowering, right? So what we want to do is get people empowered around their food. If they get empowered around our food and they respect our food and then they're going to respect our country and culture. And that's what we want long term because if you respect food, you've got to respect environment and culture, right? And that's where we can actually bridge that gap. So education is a huge part of it. 
And like I said, it's want for nothing. You know, you don't get paid for the education piece. But what we need to do is add that into what we're doing with food. And I know a lot of people would use a lot more natives if they were educated on it. Oh, They'd sure. use a lot more fresh produce if they were educated on it. They'd use a lot more seasonal produce if they were educated on it. And that's why we align really well, you know, um, and moving things forward so we can empower people with education. Yeah. It's weird that it's I'm like... imagining like a natives, like, content piece. We can talk about the natives here in Coolum and Brisbane, the differences. The different mob, the different communities the different and how they connect. Yeah. ingredients. I found it so amazing. It's like the oldest culture, the ancient food we're talking about here, but where, hey, we're just going to introduce you to this, the oldest food of the world. <laughs> I always laugh about that. I like this newly discovered food. You <laughs> yeah, know, it's yeah. the oldest food in the world. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to go over to Dubai and cook it at World Expo. I was saying to people, this is the oldest food in the world. There's something pretty special in that. And the really special thing about it is that we haven't really changed it from the way that nature intended it. Still grows out in the wild. Still very minimalism. Still very minimalism, but it grows the way that country intended it to grow and it grows where country intended it to grow. So let's keep these systems in place. Big, another project of mine is trying to get recognition around our mob food, around our country's food, because food that grows on Bundjalung country isn't food that grows in central desert country. So what we need to do is make sure that we're protecting that culture around that food. And we're saying, this is Gulalung, this is Fingalung from Bundjalung country. Because that's where she belongs, right. that's where she comes from, Providence. Yeah. yeah. Just like the Appalachian system in France, yeah. just what they do in Europe. Champagne. Champagne from Champagne, brother. <laughs> so true, but they yeah. add cultural value onto their products yeah. and that's what we need to be doing as Australians. Yeah. And would it be fair to say that you sort of need to make sure that you can just go pick stuff from wherever you see it or, you know? Look, I say what's going on country now belongs on country and we need to live it there. I was talking about the pippies earlier. Yeah. Pippies were abundant when I was a little girl and we used to go down as a mob pippin, right? Throwing them on the campfire, eating those pippies, taking the leftovers, a little bit of leftovers home to make a pippy curry with my uncles. You know what I mean? That's the first thing I remember cooking, pippy curry. But what's out there now is just coming back because it's been overfished, it's been over-commercialised. So what's out there in nature, let it be there for nature because nature and country needs it to be there right now. Let's start to reach out to suppliers like you to source our fresh produce, our fresh but natives. Doing it sustainably. Doing it sustainably, working with mob and making sure that we can get it out there in abundance to meet that demand. But what's on country now needs to be there because country's taken a big hit in the last 200 years. Yeah. Go away. Done. <laughs>